for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It doesn't matter who you are. Once we all hit the woods hunting elk this fall, you, me, and thousands of others will be in the same boat, trying to locate, find, and harvest elk. And before you can kill an elk, like we always say, you have to find an elk. The goal of this series has been to help you do just that. And tonight, we have a few more nuggets and give you just a few more tips, as well as answer questions from our mailbox and our live listening audience. Time for some live Q&A, y'all. That discussion, some special live Elk Bros shout-outs, and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and elk hunting coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from the DFW area, the Northern Dawn, Manano Graturon of the Venezuelan Mafia, and from Bastrop, Texas, the one and only Cole Wilkes from Cimarron, New Mexico. Well, you got your elk hunting coaches in the house. Leroy the Ninja Chavez and WWJGD. What would Joe Gillia do's in the house? How's it going, fellas? 
Under the wire, man. <laughs> Who is the man, Joe? <laughs> oh my Nailed God. it, big O. Oh, man. Yeah. That's hilarious. Luis, Luis is over there. Luis popped in from. Tell everybody where you're at, Luis. I'm uh, on an undisclosed location right by the Red River, as you can see it there. I know where it's at. I didn't know we had Luis. Luis was not supposed to join us. We have the Southern Don of the Venezuelan Mafia. Oh, yeah. Luis Gonzalez, who's actually hunting, folks. He's actually hunting. He's kicked back like a... I mean, he's just Cadillacing in, in the back of his forerunner, uh, and joining us from the, 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 the Toyota forerunner awesome. on the Red River tonight. Man, I had to, had some good action tonight, guys. Had a lot of styles come in with a bunch of little piglets running around, and had them so close, watched them forever, but uh, but no shooter pigs tonight. What do you mean? All pigs are shooter pigs. <laughs> I agree. That's a bull right there, yeah. man. Yeah, I agree. I was out. <laughs> I was out Monday and and shot several. Yeah, out the you got to feed that to somebody who believes it, Luis. Because I'm telling you, <laughs> all pigs are shooter pigs. And I don't know if you guys are checking out the chat here. Usually we have uh, Luis with his you know, three screens up so he can see all this going on. And and as you can tell, Luis is kicking it, man. He didn't do the three screens thing this time. So hopefully Manano's going to do the job for him. Oh, yes, please, I will. On. I will come do on. it. You Actually, knew, I'm you, opening the window right now to you see. You knew you had to get somebody else to, yeah. to help out like Cole. I was so happy. Manano we, uh, couldn't, replay, couldn't do the job. Coming man. in like crazy, man. For Tracy Henry. <laughs> What's Bruce. happening, my brother, Chad? John Pyle, Tracy Henry, <laughs> Scott Baker, Shane's in the house. Shane, I didn't think you were going to be here, man. Casey Gamble, Scott Winter, Sean Dawson. Over the Next Ridge, Patrick Drummond. Oh, man. Sean Dawson's in the house. Everybody's showing up here, man. Bobby Rebus is here from Baytown, Texas here. Oh, and, you know, because that's where I was saying, uh, you know, we, when we were going to introduce Cole, I had his city a little bit wrong. Yes, but see, <laughs> <in the house. laughs> that's all right. Yeah. And let's see, we got Chad Jones, man, from Baytown, Texas. Oh, Flatlander for life. Yeah. Another Lone right. Star State. Up, Chad? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, guys, um, as we're doing this, Chad, I want you to set the scene there. You're telling – you got some information for everybody? Uh, me? <laughs> yeah. Evidently not, man. So, guys, before we get rolling, <laughs> we want all of you to get ready for our live audience shout-outs. So here's how you're going to get ready. Here in a few minutes, it's going to get to that point. We want to know, number one, your name, second, your hometown, and third, just one little pride fact about your town or something it's known for or someplace every local goes to. And we're, you'll hear when Gilbert asks for that here in a couple minutes. This way you can kind of get those wheels thinking a little bit, maybe get that plugged in a little bit and hit it so that we can give you guys, man, this is, look, I dread this. <laughs> you dread this, Joe? I dread this, man, this whole getting places on time with Gilbert coming in like one minute <laughs> under the wire, right? Shoot, dude. I was steady, ready, Eddie. I'm ready to roll. I, I never know what we're going to get, man. It's just like the box of chocolates for real. So Exactly. 
Man, they filing in, Joe. I mean, all our all our listeners. I mean, Thomas from the big town of Burnett, Texas, is in the house. Just yes, sir. In the house, man. So Scott Baker. <laughs> house. Come on, my nana. You have a big shoes to fill. <laughs> What's up, Scott? Uh, <laughs> so you guys be ready for that. Um, also, everybody, just so you know how this is going to work, feel free to ask us any questions during the show. Um, the guys will be kind of looking at these going down. We'll kind of try to go scroll back and forth through that to catch you because um, we have a little bit of delay. So I'm not sure exactly how much that delay is. We're going to find seconds, out here. Huh, um, it, well, I tried to do a little trick so that it wasn't as long. So we're going to find out about that. And if you have a question for a particular person, just throw that out there as well. Uh, but we will try to get it as we go there. All right. Um, yeah, oh, Manano, please, please make yourself useful when they have a question for me. Okay, I, I got here, okay? I got here, Eric Aragon, Manano, El Rey de la Mafia. Uh, Shout yeah. out to my friend Eric. Yeah, we're ready to rock. We got Cole in the house, child. Everybody's here. I don't know what Luis is doing, man. I think he's sleeping on us over there. As always, as always, that's incredible. We, we, as soon as we got to the, to our, our, our spot destination yes i mean he he got into the truck and then play start playing i don't know he got a i don't know weird you know sword dude what's up play. with your english bro You've it's getting worse for like 20 years and it's just getting worse by the minute man oh my yeah. what the hell so right. get started on the shout outs bro <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We got to get the mafia to keep it off one another here just a minute. So yeah, strong people can talk. Uh, I'm telling you guys, because it's a live show, you know, our shout outs are going to be a little different tonight. Before we get to our show topic, it's live audience night. So start typing in those shout outs and we'll have a little fun. In fact, we're going to start with a record breaking video shout out. This shout out is to the furthest video shout out location yet 3,333 miles away that's a video shout out to 10 year old max mesner in north shore of Kauai, the the island of hawaii where you can hunt pheasant pig feral goats and you can draw a tag to hunt a black-tailed deer. And I bet you they got some access over there too, Joe. Yes, sir. Let's see what he has to say, man. Hi, I'm Max, coming to you from North Shore Kauai. Um, my dad always listens to your podcast in the car, and I'm always there when he does. Um, love what you do. Keep dreaming of the spring. <laughs> wow, He's lit that kid's living Bad in ass. paradise, Joe. That's awesome. Wow, <laughs> man, from Hawaii. That is too cool, man. Way cool. Joe, on my ticket, send that young man uh, a hat and a, sh and a shirt, dude. Gotta get him, gotta get him some dadgum elbow hey, swag, there, man. There it is, my man. Ticket. Put, put it on my ticket, brother. And, and, you know, with Max rocking like that, let's see what some of these other guys, let's see who we got in the house, man. Anybody see anybody giving us some shout outs? Let's see. John Turner, John. New Braunfels, Texas, featuring the yeah, Wildlander. <laughs> Flatlander right there. Flatlander. Another Flatlander. <laughs> That's awesome. Look at Cole turning out the followers. Come on, Yes, man. sir. I told him y'all better show up. Show up and represent. Show up or you cut off. That's right. <laughs> Oh. All the secrets are cut. 
Sean Dawson wanted us to also make sure that we let everybody know about the showcase. So Sean has started his own IG to celebrate being an Elk Bros grinder. And it's the Elk Bros grinder Instagram. And what he's looking for is our grinders to send him a picture and a small bio. And uh, so that you know that that is, that has our blessing. We want to celebrate you guys, man. So um, go ahead and send that stuff into Sean at the Elk Bros grinder Instagram so that he can show your face and celebrate your place, man. All right. That's cool. Scott Baker, Parker, Colorado, suburb. No, don't, don't be saying that, Scott. What's the suburb of Denver, man? <laughs> Denver's, a, Denver's a, a, a neighbor or suburb of Parker. All right, there we go. Tracy Henry, that's no way to talk to the leader of the Venezuela mafia. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know who he's talking about. Uh, uh, smart guy, smart guy. You got to be more slick than that. Specific. We don't know who you're talking about. Jason Schultz from Salem, Connecticut, home of beautiful Gardner Lake. Awesome. Welcome. So, Welcome Gilbert, so I want you to see here, Eric Aragon has, uh, he's from Chiva Town in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So, Ooh. what what the Chiva was, was they goats. raised goats. Yeah. And he's like, so Gilbert, <laughs> he has plenty of goats if you want to come and get a little bit of therapy. He's got one for me? He's gonna... <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna be a therapy goat man forever. Home of Tome Hill Park and Sundancer Alpaca Farms. That's Christopher and Las Lunas. And we got John Child from Layton, Utah, Kansas Sutton from Keatysville, Maryland. Scott, okay, Denver's our neighbor. Yeah, you got it, man. <laughs> uh oh, okay. Gilbert. At least they're not calling you the molester. It's just Gilbert the goat lover is what they call them. <laughs> Gilbert the goat lover. I told you, man. If I painted a cool painting, would they call me Michelangelo? <laughs> I mess with one of them goats, son. It's on. It's kind of like <laughs> so you guys kind of keep an eye on that as those are coming in because there's some other things that uh, I want to make sure that we that we talk about while we're giving this yell out um, just some points throughout the show that, like I said, we're going to give a free subscription and uh, through the show, we're going to answer a question. We're going to ask a question. I'm sorry. And whoever gets that answer first during the show is going to win that subscription. So we'll be doing that. Also, Hey man, my buddy, Scott winter. He said, Hey, uh, from Bend, Oregon. He said, we got beer and we're going to need it because all these people moving in, we're going to have to relocate soon. <laughs> we got room for you down here, man. Come on down, Scott. Well, and you got to remember New Mexico, 90% of the, of the population lives in 10% of the area here. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of rural country. The rest of it, Joe, don't have any air. None. <laughs> uh, we got thomas hawker from burnett texas he said oh no i don't know man if we want to say that he says him and cole grew up together and his boy cole is a beast and still is man we love going to storms for a storm special hamburger and hunting that's right <laughs> that's all we did out here country boys yeah that you know, ain't all you did cole but i'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> you're right that'll that'll be for another show and an elk yes sir 
<laughs> we have Keith Despacito, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, but I happen to know that Keith has familia right here in New Mexico, man. We're gonna we're gonna make that connection. Kyle Rose, Westcliff, Colorado. Kyle, we're gonna talk. Let's <laughs> see. Look at all the boys from Joe, Westcliff, that's Joe Kyle, Kyle, man. That's my, that's my hunting brother, Kyle, that's right there. Hunting, buddy. That also Kyle's last name is Rose, huh? That's Kyle Rose. That's hey, the Kyle. infamous blood trail. And, and, and Kyle <laughs> is a grinder, man. So yes, sir. Out here. Uh, Austin Bohannon from Bastrop, Texas. <clears throat> home of the largest population of endangered Houston toads in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, he, I think he misspelled toads, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Uh, also, some information, guys, all you guys that are listening, continue to get this out here. Send the email out there for because our Hunting Buddy website is up. It's running. We have over 50 people now on there. We have 50 people, uh, users on there. We want that to grow and grow. And if any of you are using the Hunting Buddy site and you happen to get a Hunting Buddy from that, we want to hear about it. We want to hear the success stories that happen out there. Okay. For sure. Well, yeah. Luis, Luis is looking for a hunting partner right now. Long <laughs> <laughs> oh, like bull. After, after the last one, I don't think I need one no more. <laughs> so, also, an announcement tonight. It's a it's a little bit different. We have a new partnership with Elk Bros, and some of my boys here are going to hear this for the first time. Some have kind of heard it. If you've never heard of WaypointTV.com. They are an outdoor network that features um, video podcasts of a collective of podcasts that they want representative of their beliefs. And they came to us wanting to bring the Elk Bros into their collective. And we are going to be partnering with Waypoint TV com, which means for you guys out there, there's an app that they have that you can put on your phone that you can find all this outdoor content. You can find, I think they're like have 40 different Jeez. podcasts and we're talking all different stuff, fishing, you know, hiking, hunting, uh, turkeys, deer, elk. I mean, they cover the gamut there. So if you're looking for knowledge on that, you can find it on their channel. Now, what does that mean? What is what is the change that's going to happen for Elk Bros? There is not going to be a change. Our content is our content. The only thing, and the reason that we did this, y'all, is that we provide free content to you. And this, <laughs> for us to pay for this, thankfully, I've had... Um, some incredible folks that have helped us on our Patreon account to help us keep the lights on. Well, now that we are going to this network, it allows them to put two 20-second ads on the front of our show and two 20-second ads in the middle of our show in which we can now get revenue from our content without changing our content for you guys. And um, That's really good, Joe. I'm excited about that in that now our show can pay for itself. And I have some other stuff in mind now with my Patreon members because they've been so cool. I want to do something so that what we're contributing in there to support this show is also going to now go to prizes that they can win uh, 
once we get to a certain amount that I can get them maybe some arrows for a prize. I can get, maybe we can build up to a bow for a prize, something like that. So uh, I think that is something that could actually be a side thing for people to benefit as a group and to have conversations and to be there. So um, we're going to work on that process as well. So that is uh, some cool things that are coming out for us right now, y'all. Thanks, Kenneth. We appreciate that, man. And, and we appreciate you guys supporting us. Uh, we got Jimmy Williamson from West Virginia. Exciting as much as I can now. before my next elk hunt. Planning for next year. Twice so far for no luck. Been twice, but no luck. We're changing that. And number one, we don't believe in luck, bro. So yeah, we make your own. You're going to make some luck. We're going to make that happen. All right. Uh, we got John Jones from Southern Iowa. Hey, how you doing, John? Love hearing you guys in the house. And uh, um, I don't know. What do you guys think about the the partnership, man? Oh, man. I'm, uh, you know, you and I talked earlier this week and I was like, man, this is so cool. Um yeah, I mean, I'm down, and uh, these guys are going to love what we do. Be able to broadcast it in a lot, bla you know, blast it out even even better. And you know, we get to uh, do what we do and not change our content, and and uh, have some people on that want to advertise and this, that, and other. So yeah, I think it's growing. Uh, Elk Bros is growing, and that's that was our whole intent of this is keep our blue collar guys fed, and and uh, and one day you know, the show contains itself. And, you know, Joe's had a great vision for this uh, Elk Bros. I mean, this started, you guys don't really understand this, but it started 12 years ago. Uh, Elk Bros was started and, you know, we, uh, a couple years ago, Joe said, what do you think about doing a podcast? You like to talk. So uh, <laughs> half, half the time they can't get me to shut up anyway. That, that, you know, luckily throughout my life, they've paid me to talk a whole bunch. So um, yet Joe, I think it's, fantastic uh i'm down with these guys and i can't thank you enough for hustling that and uh these guys reaching out to us and uh so know, that's the cool thing gilbert was not be disappointed that was a cool thing was i didn't hustle anything it was really cool that they came and uh and mm -hmm. wanted us to be a part of that yeah. so um hey, I Joe, want go, go ahead real quick um with the questions right so as a listener uh -huh. you said nothing should change right i mean people would still be able to go to their podcast platform platform and will still be there in the same spot. Uh, all the episodes will be there and uh, nothing, nothing really changes on, on the listener side, right? Absolutely. Nothing changes on other than those ads being ads. At the beginning in the middle. That's it. That's all. Uh, that, that's really important, Joe, because I, I won't be, I won't change my own leash vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> so every, everything shows up the, the same way. Um, everything, you know, our content length is whatever our length is. You know, when we do this, our, our show is dependent on where we go with it each time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. You're going to be able to find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. But the cool thing is now it's going to go to Samsung TV. Um, there's a couple of, yeah, there's a couple of really cool places you can be able to find a podcast now. And we might even take this up a little bit to the video side. So real, it, it's real exciting, man. It's real exciting. And one thing I want to do before we miss out on some of these is Amelia Escobar from Edinburgh, Texas, home of the Rio Grande Valley wildlife Res refuge. Shout out to the Flatlander right there. Um, John Childs, <laughs> Utah. My boys are showing up. 
They are, man. I love it. <laughs> I, I love it. Up away from the Golden Spike place where the Transcontinental Railroad met up. Cool, John. That is just awesome, oh. man. We got Tracy Henry. I don't know if you guys know Tracy Henry. Remember Tracy Henry? You should because he did a custom knife for our giveaway last time. Oh, and, yeah. You awesome. know, there, there's Henry knives and there is the Henry knives. And right. <laughs> that's what I'm telling you right there, man. He just did an awesome. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. And appreciate you guys giving us all the best wishes. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get into the show now and, uh, and we'll continue to listen to those and we'll try to read this stuff as you guys are doing it. Madison. Hey, Madison says, hello, dad. Hey girl. <laughs> right behind me. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's funny. And you know, um, Jason Schultz says, welcome Flatlander, great addition and, and absolutely Cole. And one thing. Thank that, you guys uh, so much. Absolutely, man. I think, uh, and I want to see more, we're going to have more quality people coming into this circle because we're going to need that. We're going to need to build that coaching staff because we have a lot of things in mind oh, yeah. that other grinders oh, will be able yeah. to benefit from. Oh, so, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to make this happen, man. The wheels are turning, Joe. And the elk bros are growing. <laughs> I'm digging it. Randy from Compton, California, heading to Montana. Go rock it there, Randy, man. I uh, hope yeah. you have the course, dude. If you have the course, we're going to do everything we can to help you out. And, and, and look, if you don't have the course, go to the Dagum Podcast. because Make sure you can make sure you can uh, run faster than all of the people in your camp there, uh, Randy, because uh, <laughs> y'all might be in grizzly country. If not, just shoot one of them in the leg and you can, you can outrun them. I promise you, the grizzly <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I do want to announce this ahead of time. You know, um, we have had our base camp online Academy at half price now for we're almost going a year. It'll be a year in August and I'm getting ready to add the finding out component to it, which I think is going to really round that out with the other components that are still to come in that base camp as well. But once I put that finding out component in there, then we're going to be going regular price. So you guys that are going to go ahead and, uh, want to catch that because once we move that up, it's going from the half price up to $99. And, and if you don't think it's a value, talk to anybody, talk to anybody that has that at this time, man, because it has just, um, there is so much content there. You would have to go to so many web webinars or seminars or different places paying hundreds of dollars to get the information we give to you. So um, I just want to put that on, make sure everybody knows what's going on with that. All right. Joe, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, real quick with regards to uh, L camp and, and, and the Academy, what are, what are we looking at with regards to the modules and, and uh, upcoming stuff? You, so you got, the, the next you get, module to come in is going to be finding elk. And, and most people that listen to our podcast can tell which modules getting ready to come in because I look, one thing that we have done is we give information out there. Now, if you've ever seen, uh, if you haven't seen our base camp modules, they are extremely in depth. They're interactive. They've got a lot of different ways. They've got uh, a, a lot of information that is really a little more extensive than what we do here because on a podcast, you give information, but some of this stuff, man, we could talk about for a week, you know? So yeah. um, I've also noticed Joe that you've made it in a way that any, anybody with, you know, they, they can use their preferred way of learning 
because you have it written. You have a voiceover where you, you know, you do videos and you play it and you talk everything that is, is written. Mm -hmm. You also have interactive and at the same you know, time, you got videos and pictures and, and all of that. So, I mean, visual, audio, um, interactive, you name it. So it's just anybody, uh, it, it adapts to anybody's learning style, I guess is just the way I would say. So, so Jimmy, what, what our course is, is basically um, I have developed an online course using my fifth, four, I'm sorry, 40 years of elk hunting experience and guiding experience, but also along with my coaching style. I am, I am, Chav is, Gilbert is, we're all um, coach, Gilbert's still coaching, Chav and I are retired coaches that coach for 30 plus years. I, I coach Manano as well. <laughs> and yeah. I have developed this course in my coaching style the same way that I use to get things across to different athletes to be successful. And we do this completely different than other courses. And you'd have to go and just check out some of that information on that, on how I do, but I can tell you what it's um, it's, it's not like anything that you expect, you know, where you get all this, I don't give a whole bunch of knowledge out like this uh, from the bottom about what it is to be an elk hunter. I start with the point most in your control. And that is that last 30 seconds to a minute that an elk is in front of you that teaches you how to close the deal. Because every one of you listeners out there, all of you are, if you're elk hunting this year, you can do things wrong and have an elk encounter. But it's kind of like that dog chasing the car. What do you do with it once you catch it? So that's, that's what I start with so that when I come back now and I go from how to close the deal to a setup, to a response, to calling, when I come back, you understand where you're going with things. It's not like you're getting information and not sure where you're going. Cole, you, you've seen it guys. You've seen it. You could probably hundred percent. I, I was just waiting for my chance to cut in here because I, I'm actually going through the whole academy right now um, because, you know, I, I'm having to, to get everything that Joe wants to force into y'all's heads, right? And I'm able to see and put together these situations that I've even had out in the field. And then I'm like, oh man, I can't even believe you're giving this away type of information. Um, and it, it really makes a lot of sense whenever you start really, the way Joe breaks it down, and I'm ADD. I can't sit there and read all that stuff. So he reads it to me and I get to follow along. And then he has all the pictures and everything. Like, right. seriously, it's, it's blown me away. Uh, you know, just the, you know, just the short time that I've got to visit through it. Yeah. And, and, and starting from the finish to working back, that's, that's genius, you know, yeah. uh, simply because it's, it's a way to teach that's not taught in, uh, I like it. I, I, you know, I've been through the course and all its elements and man, I'm telling you, it is, I mean, we've, we've undersold that here on the show. I mean, we try not to, you know, pimp it like this, this only thing we got, right. I mean, come on. It, it really is one of the best training tools I've seen uh, on any kind of e-tool that there is. And yeah, yeah it'll, it'll cut your learning curve down quite a bit. 100%. 100%. And I think and if you go over it a couple of times, you pick something up every time you're yeah. there. So. Yeah, and absolutely. One thing I want to tell you guys, too, is there's just two things in information because Luis talked about how I do audio throughout it. And 
right now I'm still adding audio to modules because it is quite a process. The first two modules right. are pretty good, but I've made so many changes. <laughs> I'm always changing the modules and adding to them because it's, it's really weird because there's so many things you take for granted. And then you start going to go, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell this. So I start mm -hmm. adding different content, different images and stuff and building this thing. Cause I look, this is going to be mine and Chow's legacy. This is going to be what's going to exist when we no longer do. And I will not take anything less than the best to represent us. And, and I'm very proud of it. And, but I want to tell you this. Here's the second thing is that I don't care if you buy our course, go out there and get a course, go out there and get any course buy multiple courses, your knowledge of elk and elk hunting and, and the skill sets and the strategies are your greatest tool. I have been hunting for, this is going to be my 39th season, right? 39th season. Yeah. Look, I've taken 36 elk in the last 38 years with my bow state land called in thousands of elk. I've called in for hunters that I guide thousands of elk in different situations. And I want to tell you this, I did it wearing tennis shoes. I did it shooting double X 75s. I shot the same broadhead for 30 years. I used camo from uh, that, that we would get from yard sales or that we got at Christmas. Uh, we ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and bologna. Look, y'all, uh, what I'm trying to tell you is it's, it's not about the gear. Now, gear is great for making you comfortable and, and helping you stay out in the woods longer and, and being comfortable in camp and getting better sleep. But it is right here, man. And it's here. That's what's going to do it. Yes, sir. And then and you, also never, have, you also have – Never give up. I was gonna say, Chav, you to put that to put the icing on the cake. You got Chav's words of wisdom there in the course as well. What I was gonna say was, it's like Joe mentioned, it's ever evolving. You may read it one week and go back to the second week, and it, there's some totally different information, even at the very beginning of it. Like Joe mentioned before, uh, we've probably forgotten more stuff. At, during the course of the years that uh, it just every once in a while, Oh, I remember that. And it's always evolving. So it, it's, it changes all the time. So it's not the, you know, even if you read it once or gone through the whole program one time, it's going to be different the second time you, you read it. So uh, keep that in mind. Yeah. Jason, you got to love double X 75s and Oh, John Jones wants to fix that eye <laughs> up on your, on your googly bull. Yeah, I just seem to know. I said, hell no, John. I like my wild eye bull, man. <laughs> what he looked when he came in. Joe had him work up, son. All right, y'all. We're gonna go ahead and get into our content tonight so that we can answer y'all's questions. And I want to tell you this. Um, hey, Ash and Dom, is is do we have the little one in bed yet? I'm trying to find out if my granddaughter's in bed because Yeah, uh, yeah, Manano's about to go to bed. Of course, you're not reading the, the chat, right, Luis? Yeah. You're so, not reading the chat. Uh -uh. <laughs> no, tonight. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Tonight's topic is we're going to finish up on finding out from day one all about boots on the ground, y'all. And this, this is nothing about e scouting. That's a whole different conversation because all of y'all are going to do e scouting. And every single one of you is you're going to think you have all your plan, everything there, but then you're going to get boots on the ground where you actually get to confirm what you've been e-scouting. I mean, it's, it's kind of an educated guess when you're doing your e-scouting. Now it can put you in a lot of great areas, but it is 
an educated guess, right? And then you're going to get their boots on the ground. And I can tell you, it's going to look bigger. It's going to look steeper. And it might seem daunting to you. And, and that's why we did this, because a lot of people are like, where do I start? So um, is the little one in bed yet? Okay. All right, because I was going to. Luis couldn't resist. He went to the, the straight to the show. So the, <laughs> he the couldn't resist. I, He's like I a girl. Was oh just in goodness. case um, anybody wanted me to do any calling, it's going to have to be like in the in the next ten minutes. So if there's any request for something that you need clarifying as far as calling goes, especially bugling, I can cow call all night without waking up my granddaughter. But um, <laughs> I'm in the family situation right now, so. Uh, just wanted to put that out there. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to add some additional points as well as answer your questions, and we're going to put some questions from the Elk Grove's mailbox. And so, guys, you guys keep looking down there at the bottom at the questions at the Elk Grove's mailbox, so that uh, if we have a lull in questions, we go we'll just throw those in between, okay? And that way we get it all taken care of. Let all right? them all rip, Joe. Okay. Let them all rip, Joe. Yeah, man. He, he, they want to hear some elk serenading tonight, Joe. Yes, sir. Yeah. Robbie, oh, the, ble the black mamba. Oh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I got Vero Lackis. <laughs> yes, oh, sir. That was Joe. Now I'm the, pretty sure the, that was Joe. The call that I just used there was a, a lip ball, and it was a long lip ball. And so since it was a long lip ball, that's more of a challenge to other bulls. That's something yeah. to remember. If you hear that short lip ball that comes out, it's going to be mainly for um, the demonstration. Yeah, rounders, cows. Okay. Yeah. Right. So just something to think about there. Dang, Joe, you got me fired up. I'm fixing to get my dadgum diaphragm call out over here. No doubt. I got them right here. I'm ready. <laughs> Tear that stuff up. Uh, so, guys, I, I'm sorry. I'm just not able to do this, you know, without without bringing yeah. in my partner. Hi, Ellie. This is Ellie. You say Ellie? Hey, Ellie. How are Wait, you? Ellie. Can we wave? Can we wave to everybody? Huh? <laughs> Got her baby. She's all ready for bed, man. Hey, Is that yeah. the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life? Huh, sweet. Yeah. 100%. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, man. That's cool, Joe. Okay. So let's get going. So you guys, as we go, remember, what we're going to do is we're going to refresh some of the things we've already talked about. We... In the first one, we talked about understanding those areas that look fishy and why, you know, because I, I, if you haven't listened to that, to that one, I think it's such a great um, way to let you know that it's not as complicated as you think sometimes that a lot of you already have a lot of the skill set doing in other, in other ways and different things. Um, we talked about an elk's have tos, the things they need, want, rely on behaviorally. We talked about elk focus areas, areas that attract elk locating elk by understanding an elk's needs, where to look and find sign, how to read the sign, and then finding elk. And we went on our step-by-step -step general plan as well as broke down kind of our daily plan, how we do things. And, and look, 
people ask, you know, do we change that um, depending on the time of year? I mean, we're talking from early season to post rut before those bulls break off. No, no, we don't. We do the same thing, man. We do the same thing pretty much all the way through. Yep. So that's just something for you to talk about now. Um, throw, start throwing those questions that you guys have out there. And yeah, everybody's telling Ellie good night. <laughs> what yeah. a dog. Adorable. Uh, man, you, uh, Manano, you suck. Oh, no, that one wasn't for the baby. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Kenneth Sudan. Manuel, you taste Louisa Wade. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a girl. He's, he's a... Did Luis fall out? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't uh, seen him, so I'm not sure. He must have went to bed. One thing that we want to make sure that you understand is that when you go out, when you do hit the woods, yeah, you do – I'm sorry, I get distracted by these things because it says Chav changed his name from Sam's Club. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. You have to have a plan, man. If you go out there and you just are showing up and then going, okay – I'm just going to go out and start doing it. If you don't have any kind of plan, if you don't have any kind of strategy, can you find out? Yes. Are you going to find them consistently? No. no. You're going to really struggle because I got news for you. People with a plan. Cole, have you ever struggled? Oh, oh every saint, every season. Chab, you ever struggle? Yep. <laughs> every year. Yeah, I mean, oh. it, it's part of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to tell you now, if you ain't got a plan, you got a wish. That's right. You know, yeah. you better make a plan. Yeah, I think if you're in really good shape uh, and you can walk 10 miles a day and you have five days of hunt, you're going to get one or two opportunities if you're in a decent area. But uh, not everybody can do that. So you want to be more consistent. No, and they it can't. takes a plan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there he is. We, we have a question. Um, Guess my question is that I used a fixed pin sight. Now as a new hunter coming into the backcountry for elk, should I switch to a dial pin? I did buy a black gold sight. All right, some of you pin shooters, throw that out. I will, I mean. Yeah, go ahead, I Gilbert. I don't, I don't shoot a one pin, so I don't want to be dialing anything up. You know, I know what my yardage is. That's a big target. Um, I don't know, I've been shooting multiple pins. I don't have a ton of pins, but – you know, I know if I'm going to shoot a bullet 80 yards, what it's going to take to do it. Uh, or if I know I'm going to shoot a bullet 40 yards, I know what to do it. The big thing about pin shooting is you got to know your yardage, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's imperative. You cannot draw your bow back on a bull if you do not know how far he is. You will end that hunt disappointed. I promise you. Yeah. So you guys that need to understand what 30 and in is. Anything past 30, I mean, you're probably going to need to get your rangefinder out. And especially in these corridors we shoot down or downhill or uphill or something. I mean, I, I've yet to get a, just a perfect flatland shot. I mean, it's, you know, we're hunting in the mountains, fellas. So understand mm. what 30 yards looks like. And your distance from 20 to 30, if you're shooting these bows like we shoot today, these nuclear bows, it ain't going to be three inches different. So it's not going to matter whether you use your 20-yard or your 30-yard pin. Uh, but once you get past that, things start changing. The gravity takes effect. And, you know, I don't like a one-pin sight because I don't want to be dialing anything up. 
Uh, just one more thing for me to worry about. Uh, I shoot a six pin spot hog. So what do you think, Cole? So uh, here's what I think. I think you're pushing the the limit of your practice time before season starts right now. If you're going to make that change between like a, a multi pin site to a single pin, then you need to do it right now. Yeah. Otherwise, I think you need to keep with what you're used to because if you if you do what we're talking about and you call those elk in like in the range that we're used to, you're talking about 45 and under most of the times guys. So, you know, that, that, that site that you have that you're used to, I think is going to be better right now. And then as soon as season is over next year, put that single pin adjustable on and then start getting used to having to do that adjustment because I do shoot a single pin site and it takes, you know, I just, it, it slows me down a little bit because I know, okay, I got a range. I got to make sure that he's right there in that range or he's next to something that I've already ranged. And then I dial my pin. So you're adding another complication to your setup that might not really need to be there for elk hunting. Yes. So let me and to each his own. Each guy, each guy's gonna to each his own. Each guy's gonna, but you he's Cole's one hundred three, one hundred percent right. You gotta practice with it. Yeah, That's and then and, and the thing is, you are adding more movement to your setup. I mean, you you're there twenty yards, um, thirty yards. You have to add a little bit of movement and so that's that's not comfortable i'm gonna give you a different perspective i'm gonna tell you take that single pin set it for 30 and then know where you got to put it on an animal for 40 20 50 because yeah absolutely i've actually got my single pin um i I shoot a black gold and i actually have mine scribed at you know my my single pin is at 20 and then I have a scribe mark for 30 and then 40. So I can just adjust without adjusting almost immediately. Yeah, I'd almost do because our bows are so flat, man. I'd almost do it for like 35 or 40. And then once I'm inside of that, I just aim at the at the armpit and you know, underneath the armpit yeah. and let it rip, dude. I mean, you got so much room behind that shoulder in between there man i mean you want to hit him mid-body you know a little i like i like shoot all my bulls a little high center mid-body and i mean you ain't gonna look for him that's joe i i have uh never shot single pin so where do you see the advantage of the uh single pin versus the you know uh, a site with five pins where you know exactly where your pins are one. at yeah, because I, I, I get a little excited. <laughs> and um, most most of your multi-pin sites are, you know, sticking out like this. And I noticed that whenever I went to that post site, it opened up my field of view quite a bit. Um, and I, I started shooting the HHAs when they very first came out like 10 years ago. And I've, I've just stuck with that single pin. And now that seems to be uh, – you know, I, I couldn't think about going into anything different. And the guys that shoot them love them, man. And, and yeah. it's all about what you practice with. And, and I'll, tell you, Luis, I'll tell you that basically I've shot with a single pin all my life because I'm looking down an arrow shaft, man. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm looking down an arrow shaft and I'm using that point of reference, you know, to wherever I am on that. So if you have that pin out there in front and that thing is set to be dead on at 30, I, I guarantee you, man, 
you just got to take a, a little shift in one direction a little bit in a matter of yeah no and i and yeah. i get i i understand that the portion of it and it makes sense that the one part I, I don't like about a an adjustable pin is having to do the math and adjusting the thing because like <laughs> you said i mean i get excited i get virulacus right away and i just can't be doing math and just adjusting things at the moment of shooting no, I, I don't so, know. oh there's no there's no math man i mean it's it's per yard if it says 62, I dial it exactly to 62, and it's right on the money. But yeah. for, for me, what I'm saying is if I have that single pin set at 30 yards. Mm, yeah, I, yeah, no, I get what I, you're yeah. saying. I'm going to be mid-body, or I'm going to be down on the leg, or I'm going to be up in the upper void, depending on the distance. And so, or the right. top of the back, you know, depending on how far it is. So that that's that's one thing that I was going to say. Yeah, but, but then again, you have to be very familiar with the size of the animals. If you're shooting different animals, that's going to be different as well. Sure. sure. But, but you can always range find. I mean, if you're comfortable with a range finder, I mean, all you got to yeah. do is range it and you know, okay, it's 50, you know, so. Yeah. I, gotta, I, I don't normally, I don't normally range find the animal. I range find area around right. the animal, okay. yeah. you know? So, but I, if I got time, yeah, I'm, I'm going to range find him, but I know when he's coming in, what these obstacles are in front of me, you know, uh, yep. that's the big thing for me is knowing where 40 and 50 is. And, and once he comes inside of 40, man, it's, you know, Shangri-La. He's Bill Steiger said, you know, uh, to, to use the easy me. And, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you that Bill, I, I'm on that journey. You guys have seen, man, I'm on that journey with a, a changed, you know, I've had somebody that gave me an incredible gift and I'm honoring that by, uh, I have a release. I was just shooting, uh, day before yesterday for the first time, got that bow tuned and shooting an easy V and that easy V lets me be an instinctive shooter. A lot like what Luis was just talking about with, with that animal and the kill and stuff. You just figure whatever a kill zone is the size of a basketball on an animal and that's how you put that easy V on there. And for me, I don't really, it pretty much does it left, right. And the rest of my up, down kind of flows, but I set it for 20. And if you guys have never looked at easy V, it's just kind of where you're going to line out for, you know, the first uh, lines on the top of it that are on the side. It looks like a V you place things on the inside of it, man. And I, I got that set for 20. I went 20 kill. I went to 30, had never shot 30, put it up there, kill. Went to 40, first shot ever, kill. I mean, it was zap, zap, right. zap, because it had my left, right set. All I needed was something, you know, left, right, and my instinctive shooting took over from there. It, it was amazing. I, I really I really liked it. So. Oh, man, that, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, Joe, we got another question here. It says, Joe, when using a mouth diaphragm, can I get a sound out of it? I can get a sound out of it, but he's taking over from the cat collar from uh, Brendan Houlihan. And uh, he says, what I can't figure out is what to do and need to work to get some elk sounds. And he says, is it tongue placement on the or the placement of the diaphragm in it, itself in the mouth? Thanks for everything you guys do. And one of the things I wanted to show is um, this is my this is a diaphragm that I use that has not been altered. This is a diaphragm that I've altered. So you can see that this diaphragm is a lot bigger than this one. Okay. Um, so I trim, I trim it because I, you know, big O has a small palate. 
Uh, that is uh, that's kind of crazy. But, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I have a small palate in my mouth, and these big, these big uh, call, it, call it refined. Call it refined. Do what? Refined. Call it refined. Yeah, refined. have a refined palate, uh, a distinguished taste, distinguished. if you wish. <laughs> at the end of the day, yes. And so the answer to your question is yes. You need it to fit. Uh, you might need to trim it a little bit. Um, and it, yes, where you place it in your dive, in your roof of your mouth will also depict on whether you get a real sharp sound or you get a real, uh, low sound. Generally, the further up you put that diaphragm towards your teeth, you're going to get a sharper sound. The further back you get, you can make little lighter sounds with it. So, so. And, and, and here's what I'm going to do with you, man. James, I, I don't want you, I want your diaphragm in one place right now. Don't, you know, I think I called for 30 some years before I removed the diaphragm in the top of my mouth, man, or, or diff, different parts of my tongue. So when you have that puppy and you put it up in the roof of your mouth, you want to make sure that back part of that tape, like Gilbert was talking about, seals on the soft part of your palate. That means the front part of this is going to go up back behind your IT. So it's not shifted up front. Okay, it's back behind your IT. And here's all I want you to do. Any of you guys that are trying to do this, I, I, I want you to wish you could make a sound. And because here's what you do. Wish, wish, wish. It puts your tongue immediately in the right position. Okay, wish, wish. And once you're making that noise, man, you can feel it. Then it's all about air volume or tongue pressure. I rather have more volume than pressure. So if I go, I'm just pushing from the diaphragm, okay? It's not that I'm doing hardly anything with my tongue. So I'm going to wish, wish, wish that I could make a sound, okay? And then all you have to do is push with that diaphragm. So this is the sound this will make in my mouth without trimming it, okay? Right. Okay, that's what it'll sound without trimming it, all right? But because I'm losing air behind it, all right? So this is one that'll sound like once you've trimmed it, right? Because you have a seal, right? Absolutely. So you can hear the difference that this call makes. This is money right here, y'all. You hear me? <laughs> <laughs> and what uh, brand is that, Gilbert? So this, man, I print them all the time, man. It's Primo's Black right there, baby. So um, there been some some uh, elk die from this thing. But um, I'm telling you, you got to, guys, that get with these diaphragms. You got to make it fit you. I, I, everyone I took, take out of the package, I got to trim it uh, to, to my fitting. And sometimes I over trim them, <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't get it right. But I, I, I go small until I get it to where I like it. And uh, Joe taught me that a long time ago. Uh, but, man, guys, put some time behind that diaphragm call. And it takes, man, you know, Mr. Jones is asking 
you know, what does it take? It just takes a lot of time, man. A lot of time. It, it takes a lot of time and dedication. If you're riding around in the car, when you do your walks at night, drive your neighbor's yeah. dog crazy. And if not, that's Monano. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, it'll take you a while. Manano, Manano's learning, uh, you know, the Pennsylvania cat killer himself, he's learning. Uh, and look, there are times for y'all to learn, <laughs> y'all to learn, but not during an elk hunt. <laughs> Um, and we're going to keep jumping to questions, y'all, because uh, we got a lot of them that are coming up, and we haven't even hit any on our mailbox yet. So yeah. um, Scott Baker says, since our camp is above everything, we need to try to get below the elk and start heading up towards the beds later in the morning. Um, not necessarily, Scott, man, because yeah, it just depends on what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Because if if you if your camp is up above – you, you better hope it's number one, not in an area where your thermals are flowing everything down mm, into no. the, where the critters are. Okay. That's so you got to be strategic. It just takes a little bit on the other side of that ridge for your thermals to drop down on that side. So think about that, make sure you're in the right place and it's okay to be high now. So if you start to come around and you get up there on the top of that ridge, notice what the breeze is doing because the breeze is going to control those thermals as well. Make sure that you're on the downwind side. If you're going to go working a ridge and you call and you hear something down in the bottom, trust me, it's going to take a long time and a lot to happen before your scent's going to get way down in the bottom down there. So if you hear a critter that's down there that sounds off, just remember that they're going to come up, all right? So it's not necessarily that you've got to just right away jump down on it. You got to kind of find out what they're doing, listen to them a little bit, and then, yeah, you start to close the distance, but I don't jump all the way to the bottom because you just want to make sure that you're on your downwind away thermal side of them because they are going to come up. Now, are they coming up your way or are they coming up the other side? Which way is the wind going? Is the wind coming from your side? They're coming your way. All right. Uh, if the wind's coming from the other side, they're going to go away from you most likely. Now, that does not always happen true because they can, variables happen when it comes to wind. You can actually start, you could be in, in a park and have wind hitting you in the face. Go up and start going up on a ridge and it'll seem like it changed because of the blocking and the way the wind comes around the mountains differently. It bends. Yeah, it bends like crazy. So you don't always know. You can get a general idea. But as you start to go down, you're going to be able to tell, are they going away from you? Are, you know, as it gets daylight, are they going to start going up on the opposite side or if they're coming towards you? If they're coming towards you, brother, don't go cutting the distance too much down there because they are going to come. I think, Cole, your last uh, hunt that you did video on was a good, you know, same thing happened to y'all. Y'all went down to circle to get to their level. Yeah. Yeah, and really, if we would have, if we probably would have just stayed still and listened a little bit longer, we probably could have waited for them to get right in their bed, and uh, we wouldn't have to drop down and do so much work, you know, beforehand. We could have just walked right in there, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kyle and I camp really high uh, in some of these places. We're talking like eleven thousand feet. We're spiked out, so most of the times we put ourselves in that higher range because we know the elk are going to be coming up there in that general area to bed down. So we kind of eliminate us having to do any of that hiking. We're already there and we're, we're positioned and waiting for, you know, the thermals and everything to change to be able to. Not to only move that, in. you're in position to be able to hear from different drainages and stuff, man. And early Absolutely. 
I mean, it really helps you for your night bugling. It helps you for your morning calling so that you can hear things. In that cool air in the morning, sound carries a long way. So I, I'm telling you, unless you put a bull to bed that you know where he's at and you want to be on him in the morning, if you have no clue, and I say this, I think I said this in the last pod, podcast, if I have no information, the less information I have, the higher I want to be. That's right. Yep. To be able to pick stuff up. Okay. So I agree. Um, there, there was also a question. Um, hey, Joe, real quick, brother. I'm going to, I'm going to chime out, man. Uh, peace to y'all. Good luck tomorrow. Wish me luck for tomorrow. Yeah. Good luck, brother. Get that camera going. <laughs> Shoot them all. Shoot them all, Luis. You got plenty of arrows. Yeah. I'll be <laughs> passing them. Um, Jason, Jason, <laughs> trophy hog cunning. Jason Schultz said that um, he made a comment that the Elk Nut app is great for learning how to call. It's worth its weight in gold. I'm here to tell you absolutely. Paul Medell. Oh, man. It, Paul is a fantastic man, a fellow grinder, mm -hmm. um, just an incredible individual. And he put together a terrific app that should be way more than what he charges for that. For 10 bucks, you get that oh, elk hunting knowledge. And, and yeah. you buy it, you have it forever. I mean, every, anytime it updates, you keep that app. I mean, if that if you do not have that app on your phone, then I don't know what to tell you. Man. You're behind, man. You're behind because yeah. that guy, man, he speaks the language. Absolutely. No doubt. I mean, Absolutely. and another cool thing, Joe, I'm going to pimp our, our brother to the – to the north of us and west of us, Mr. Guy Deplanche, uh with Western Contours Podcast. He had Paul Medell on his podcast, and they did an um, do what, Bo? We had him on ours. Yeah, they did an amazing job uh, talking to talking about elk and situational calling. And uh, Paul is man, he's awesome. You guys need to go check that podcast out because it was spot on with situational calling. Yep. Yeah. And, and Paul and I, we, we talk a lot yep. and it's pretty crazy how, when we talk, we're like, it's hard for us to believe that two guys in two different places have so much of the most similar ideas, styles, yeah. but, but I'm going to tell you it's elk hunting. Yep. So <laughs> elk or elk, it doesn't change. Once you get to know what they're doing and what that language is, you might call it different things, mm -hmm. but it's elk or elk, man. So there's only so much that could be different about that and if you think people have like these secret codes and secret it's it's not it's just elk behavior and understanding what to do when to do it and why you did it that that's pretty much it with that so uh, my next question is what is better a fixed blade or a mechanical blade in the back country um doctor man we don't do mechanicals bro. you're you're asking for trouble with mechanicals it, it, uh, it, it just absorbs a lot. It absorbs a lot of energy on big game. Um, for us, we want to shoot something that's going to give us a cut on contact and uh, uh, two holes. I mean, that's what we're looking for. Uh, I've shot mechanicals at deer, and look, we we shoot a hammer. I mean, I'm a 31 inch draw at 70 pounds. Um, you know, I shoot a heavy arrow with a big heavy broadhead on it, and I blow through deer with a mechanical, but I'm telling you, I've watched guys shoot elk with a mechanical and they shake it off like a bad case of fleas. And I'm, I'm just not down with it. So we shoot thick spread blade broadheads, right, yeah, Joe? Absolutely, man. 
we we, um, we want two holes. Yeah, two holes, man. And I've even heard some guys, there's some incredible large two-bladed broadheads that are, <laughs> I yeah. mean, those things yeah. could, you could shoot rocks with them and, and shoot them again, man. Yeah, I mean, there's the wickies and iron wheels. Yeah. And... But, but I have heard people that zip through an animal just with those two that you have more possibility of that seal for sure a little bit. So I, the more yeah. cut that you put into that, the better. Some people like four blades. I'm a three blader myself. It's just. What, what I, I shot a four blade muzzy for years. Got killed a lot of animals with it. Um, I mean, look, that's a hammer of a broadhead and uh, it, you get a pretty good blood trail, but I mean, for, for real guys, when you shoot, if you haven't watched our podcast on shot placement, when you shoot them where we tell you to shoot them, you ain't worried about a blood trail. He's going to fall in sight. Yeah. Matt, well, go ahead. not just that, you know, let's look at this. Really. The broadhead is the most important part of, of your entire harvest, right? Agreed. That's what you're depending on making that kill. Yeah. So it really, I think we all can kind of agree that without the mechanical, it kind of takes away a failure point, right? The blades are real small and they've got to be able to fling black back or whatever it is. Well, with, with a, a solid broadhead, you don't have to worry about that mechanism not working or a blade just coming detached on a rib bone. You know, it's yeah. going to go through it when you use a fixed blade. Um, I like an iron wheel or a Strickland helix. That's, oh, yeah. that's, that's what I like to shoot. I, I've been yeah. shooting wasp broadheads for 30 years, man. So yeah. you know, I just shot some pigs with a wasp sledgehammer. Awesome broadhead. Yeah. Very good broadhead. Yeah. 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 And Matt Flowers says, I had the chance to hunt with two new elk hunters. What's more important, having more encounters with elk or having success? I'm talking Rockies versus Rosies. The coast is nasty. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, so Matt, I'm, I'm not... I'm a little confused because I'll just tell you what's more important is having more encounters because more encounters create success. Yeah. yeah. More opportunity, Jim. Yeah. yeah. The more encounters you have, the more opportunities you have, the more, because it's a game of odds, man. Um, you're going to, I mean, you might have five call-ins and you might only get one opportunity out of that. You know, we've been, this is where I was so proud of these guys is that last year, other than the one time that Gilbert had a peep turn on him, man, we brought elk in. These guys closed the deal. Manano, first time, closed the deal. Gilbert, you uh, know, the next day, closed the deal. Luis, closed the deal, man. I mean, all of us had that opportunity and we sealed the deal. So that's incredible. You know, Cole, same thing with you guys, with yours, man. You guys brought them in and you sealed the deal on those. But yeah. you had situations where the bulls come in close and you don't get those opportunities. You know, you have an encounter, but you don't get the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, like I said, you know, we every time you get an opportunity and you get a chance to seal the deal, the, the last thing I want to worry about is my equipment going to work or not. I know it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, we hunt these nasty hogs down here year round, and if you pass through both shoulders of a hog, you've got a really good shot of going through both, you know, a, a bull elk's body. But I'm going to tell you, you hit something hard on that bull elk, you better make sure you're shooting something that can endure it. And for me, it's a really good fixed blade head that cut on contact. Um, you know, I, it's, I watched our brother, uh, our elk ninja, shoot a bull we after we'd 
Like 12 yards? Climbed up a mountain of mountains. Chop 12 yards? Yeah, 12 <laughs> yards. And he hit a limb just with the back end of the arrow, not the front end of the arrow. He hit just kind of as the arrow went through the little bit of brush, it just skimmed a limb and it popped that blade open. And when it popped that blade open, it hit that bull and it had no penetration. And I mean, he hit him in the 10 ring. I'm talking conk. And it was just hanging out of him. When the bull spun, I thought it was hanging out on the other side. I'm like, oh, this is a dead bull. You're thinking to fall over any second. And he walked off like a a flea bitty, you know. And uh, I'm like, of course, there was another herd bull pushing him with a big herd elk. But at the end of the day, I was like, man, you smoked him. And he goes, I don't think so. He said, I think I missed him. I said, oh, no, you didn't miss him. We went down there, and sure enough, there was blood, but it was all superficial. It was muscle blood. You know, he had maybe two inches of penetration. So, man, that that was something. And we worked so hard to get that bull. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, it, it, and we had him at 12 feet at one time. I thought he was going to step on <laughs> You know, I thought he was going to step on Chav, and he just took a little trail to the right and dropped down there. I mean, he was like, Come on, fellas, y'all put it right there in the pocket. And Chad did, but just um, it was tough. It was tough to watch. It was the first bull I'd ever called in uh, for Chav, and uh, that was a tough scene. So, guys, I, when I tell you, man, yeah. we've seen it all. I, I promise you I have. Uh, Chav, Chav now shoots a new set of three-blade cut-on-contact broadheads, courtesy <laughs> Ego. <laughs> and i'm seeing a lot of questions but you know guys who say if they're using a two blade should they use bleeders anytime you can add something to cause more do it That's, yeah as yes. long as it don't affect your flight you know yeah. got some some right. guys have, if you're shooting a real fast setup and you know um you're gonna see that a lot of times these blade you won't see it from zero to 40, but when you get out past 40, they'll start planning sometimes with these bleeders. So y'all watch that. Y'all shoot them out to 70, 80 yards, see how they perform. So Chad, yeah, make, you make sure you're shooting your broadheads. Mailbox, man. I'm sorry, Cole. I'm going to jump right back. I just want to make sure he's starting yeah. to pull that up there. Go ahead and finish, Cole. Oh, I was just going to say, make sure that you're shooting your broadheads. Make sure you get a target that you can shoot broadheads into. And you guys need to be practicing with those like you do your field points. Yeah. I, I shoot with a broadhead kind of every day. I'll have a every mix day. of them in there along with my field points. Make sure that you're drilling it. So I'm, yeah, I'm from, to... from August, I don't even I don't even shoot a field point. And most of the time, yeah. guys, get, guys get aggravated with me. They're like, you don't shoot field points? No, man, I got a full set of broadheads I dedicate to practice. That guys will get upset with me because I've never shoot broadheads. I mean, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a field point. Yeah. And the thing is, is what I used to do was I actually took the blades out of my, out of my lock yeah. and shot my, my ferrule with the chisel tip on it. <clears throat> and once I put the blades, they were so light on the front. It didn't change anything for me. Um, that wasp flies great. And, I mean, and I did test originally early on the difference between with and without blades and i had no difference so being the cheap guy i was i could not afford to keep buying blades or buying broadheads so i did that testing on early to see if it was something i was going to have to change because i did have broadheads that did plane on me um and and i trash those puppies but i those wasps have always been true and all i've ever all i ever have done i have never shot a broadhead before any season in probably 25 years because I made sure that 
my broadhead was flying true to what my my field point set up so I, i'm just i'm being honest man i'm being as honest yeah. as I can, you know so I, i'll just tell you once you know how your your equipment is what it's doing how it's flying you know it just depends on that some guys if it does your confidence to shoot broadheads like these boys do or to have a broadhead that you don't worry about, you know, dull, you know, maybe you have a set that those blades are dull and just shoot it over and over. That's cool. That's good. You know, um, it was just my situation and how it worked out for me. So that just kind of shows you the, the, the back, the both sides there. Chad, give us the first question. Okay. It's from uh, Brian Zakovic from uh, Pueblo, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And he has a two part question. He asks, I know you have talked about scent in previous episodes, but I haven't heard you guys talk about those scent wafers. I am wondering what you all think about those. Last year, I used the fresh dirt wafer and was amazed at how it smelled exactly like dirt. It seems like they would be good cover scent. But I'd love to hear your opinions. Uh, so I'll start. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Cole. I'll let you take this, brother. Um, so most of the times when Kyle and I are back there in the backcountry, um, we don't have any kind of scent control at all. Our scent control is the puffer bottle that stays yeah. right there next to my binoculars. And everywhere we go, that's our scent control. You puff that thing, and then you follow the wind. You go where the wind is not blowing to the elk. Um, when you're back there for seven to ten days, y'all, you're gonna stink. We, we typically <laughs> wear we typically wear the same clothes all the time. I'm changing my socks and my underwear in a ten day hunt. I'm using the same camo day after day, um, you know, and that's just because I don't want to carry this stuff. But uh, that's our scent control is is playing the wind all the time. Yeah, well, my, my grandpa will say you take a <clears throat> a house of ill repute bath, uh, <laughs> and you wash the possibles, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's pretty much – we're spoiled as heck, man. I ain't going to lie. I mean, these guys bring, bring water into camp, and, I mean, we've been spoiled the last 12 years, so we can have us a little warm Hot shower. Water. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. They brought hot water. I mean, so we kind of spoiled it. I need to take a shower every other day or so. Uh, but I'm with cold, man. Guys, y'all can get hung up on scent if you want to. Uh, for me, it mean if cows are around, I'm going to step. When I'm when I'm tromping through the woods, I'm doing this since I was a kid, I'm stepping right in the middle of cow turd. And I'm going to step in the elk mess, too. And uh, I'm going to try to smell like an elk if I can. But as far as scent wafers and stuff like that we do use uh i do use some um like spray i will spray my hat down i will spray uh some high you know high sweat areas and when i come in i like i like to wear camo in the morning and camo in the evening simply because the light's different so i'll spray that camo down hang it in the trees let it dry I'll, i believe that some of that stuff helps to knock down some of your some of your scent uh but I mean, I don't use the wafers and stuff like that, but I uh, do use some scent spray. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, like Cole said, uh, Gotta when I think off. back, yeah, when I think back to a lot of our kills, uh, we were sweating like crazy. We just played the win, right? Mm. We did have a, we did try a skunk scent one time. <laughs> <laughs> and the only, the, the only thing it did was we got, we ourselves got used to the, the scent. 
but uh, we, we were able to cut the line of McDonald's when we drove to town because everybody just kind of <laughs> spread like that. <laughs> like the Red Sea, and we got uh, and everybody's looking at us like, boy, these guys. Uh, so that's yeah. my skunk sense story. They smell yeah, like I, south I, end of a northbound. I, I try with with uh, with white-tailed deers and hogs, and it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, it didn't no, work. And, and I'm going to tell you guys, man, uh, if it's not not natural, something that's in the woods already there, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll even take a fir tree and I'll, I'll rub it sometimes. Hey, it'll it'll be worse. I try, to, I try to stay as clean and neutralized as possible because, again, I do not think human scent freaks out elk. Uh, people will say that, you know, if they smell a human and they're gone. That's not the case. They smell humans all the time, especially in Colorado, man, all the daggum time. I had a, a Scott Baker's on here. Scott Baker sent me a picture earlier today of all these elk that are out there in this field behind his house. You don't think all those elk are smelling human beings, man? It's, it's not that it, that's, it's not human scent that scares them. It's human scent when they smell it Close and they behind. shouldn't smell it when it surprises yeah. them, you know? So yeah. it, it's a, it's a lot like um, you can mitigate it. If they smell that scent lightly, you might get five yards closer. You might get 10 yards closer than if they get a snootful and they're like, Oh, somebody's like on me and they're out of there. So um, this ain't a place where humans are supposed to be. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, I mean, yeah. when you're up in the hills that humans ain't supposed to be here. Well, but they they smell respect any human there. Dude, man, there's a lot of them stinking coal wilks up there, man. And, and <laughs> so, I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen elk, you know, get hit in the face like a mop. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that's that scent hits them, and they're like, "Whoa!" You know, they Katie bar the door, but it's because they don't see people in those places year round. You know, that I'm sure, like you said, around that guy's uh, house and back in the field behind his house, they see people year round. Oh, they see them, they smell them, they smell cars, they smell. And that's the other thing that I want to tell you too is that um, elk are very forgiving of, of people in vehicles. Mm -hmm. because they're used to that in those areas where there are people with vehicles, they will let you drive through an area where they are um, without right blowing them out. They might go up on to the side, but they are smart. They, they understand that. Go look at them in the middle of um, Estes park up there, man, in the middle of the town. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really not that you, your scent is what freaks them out. It's when it's, it's like anything, man, if they smell you where you should not be, you know, at that time, that close to them, you know, then mm -hmm. they're, they're out of there. Okay. So yeah. uh, keep that there um, as far as that. What's the second part, Chad? Uh, second part is being new to archery elk hunting. I have pretty much all my gear with the exception of a range finder. Is there an entry level range finder you would recommend for a blue collar hunter? There are so many options out there and prices are all over the place. Any input would be greatly appreciated. I use the Lupo, Lupo mm -hmm. 600, and uh, there is another good one. It's called the uh, Vortex. Yeah. I mean, those two, you, you can't go wrong. With yeah, and I used a Nikon for for years. I mean, but I I, I don't anymore. I have, uh, I, have, I have both. I have a Vortex and I have a Leopold, and, and I think my son is still using a Nikon. So, I mean, either one of those entry-level – what I like about the Leopold is it has uh, it has angle the uh, angle calculation yeah angle calculation give you up, up, up or uh, down. yeah yeah if you're yeah. in a in a in a tree stand it'll calculate automatically the the angle the distance yeah the distance 
or if you're shooting downhill or if you're shooting uphill. My yeah. son says he uses estrus gel on a twig and clips it on his hat. What do you think of that, Joe? I don't like anything that is not natural tracing. Again, I would rather smell like nothing because if I'm coming in on the animal, I'm not going to go in there and get the wind blowing in his direction, hoping he smells that estrus gel on me and comes running over. You know, uh, it. That's that's not going to be how I do it. Uh, well, I tell you one thing: you'd be like R.C. Knox. You'll have to say, "You got to do something." How's <laughs> <laughs> that on you, son? You better be ready. <laughs> and, and guys, if you have any questions over the series that we've done about finding out something that confused you, start popping that in there as well. Yeah. So, um, Dan Schultz from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He said, "I'm going to Colorado for my first archery elk hunt this year. Should I focus more?" of my time on elk calling skills or e-scouting. I have been working with the elk nut app and practicing my car while I drive to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm tempted to go Jared Scheffler style, whitetail adrenaline and find where the pressure, um, where the pressure is not while I'm there and go to, uh, or where the pressure is while I'm there and go to other spots. Well, number one, yeah. Elk calling. I'm sorry, man. Elk calling is number one. If, yeah, if, if you want to create encounters, you can go out there like a, a, a hog looking for an acorn. And if you're a good caller, you can pull an elk in from one that you would have never seen before. You can create an you encounter, bet. even if your e-scouting is incorrect. E-scouting is going to put you in areas where elk should be. You're going to get there and confirm if elk are in the area. And then you're going to use your calling so that those elk find you as well as you finding them. Um, and uh, Jared Shepherd style, you know, as far as the pressure thing, here's what I'm going to tell you, man. Here's, here's the thing on pressure is there's going to be, you're going to drive to a trailhead and there's going to be like 30 vehicles there. There's going to be 30 vehicles there. 31 and, if he goes. And on the way up to there, <laughs> you're going to pass a ton of elk that are screaming that nobody's ever going to hear because everybody's driving to the trailhead. So yes, find those places where people aren't. And it could be, look, it could be next to homes. It could be 300 yards from a home. It could be, you know, uh, it could be a quarter mile off of a highway. You could be on elk hearing two vehicles going by on a highway. So, uh, again, elk are smart. They understand and they get used to certain things. And they understand that, hey, I'm right here and nobody's messing with me. I'm only 300 yards behind this guy's house. Nobody's messing with me. It's a good spot to be. So, anybody else on that? Yeah, no, I, I, I've been with the great Carl, the great late Carl Gamage, and we climbed up the top of this mountain. And I mean, this mountain was a little tabletop. I mean, just a little tabletop spot. And we had not seen anything or heard any. We heard some early in the morning, a pretty good ways off, and we kind of went up to the top. And it had shut up. They'd shut up and not said a word. <laughs> I bet you there was 135 head of elk in that little tabletop. And we didn't know it because we, you know, easing up there with the wind. You know, he's dragging my fat butt up there because we got to go slow. So, I mean, he's dragging me up there and we get to the very top and <laughs> we sit down and just start to grub out a little bit, you know, get a little bit of that trail mix and a, and a bar, you know, a protein bar and drink a little water. And I hear like maybe 40 feet to my left. <laughs> We're just sitting there eating, and I stand up, and it is at the mother herd right next to us, and they're in a little spot that nobody would think they'd be, Joe. 
you know, I'm talking a little bitty spot. Uh, a little depression. Yeah, a little depression on the top of this mountain. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Carl called a bull in for me, but a cow got in the way and she died. So, I mean, it is, it is what it is. Uh, well, and what happened with that was you guys had been looking for elk for how many days and hadn't seen it? Oh, man, a whole bunch. And everybody pushed them up there. So I, I'm driving into camp and I come across as I am just entering in from where everybody is parking. I'm in 100 yards from everybody's where everybody's parking, driving up to camp, and I see a herd of elk. I get to camp. They go, we haven't seen an elk. I go, I just passed the whole herd. And they went down there and shot an animal out of them. Yeah, it. Was, we sure it was did. right down there where everybody was going by it. So yeah, that drove right. Yeah, that uh, kind of reminded me of the time that the year that Gilbert killed that three uh, three forty seven bull. Uh, you know, we were driving downhill in the dark, and we got passed by about ten different four wheelers going uphill, and uh, and they had to have passed through that area that. that that Gilbert got that big kill. And that's the same year that uh, I think uh, some of the guys with you, Joe, had a couple of opportunities also yeah. in that same area. And guys drove hitting, right by us, didn't they, Chad? Yeah, we just waved to them and <laughs> headed down. They went out. <laughs> we, we're kind of, working bulls, and these guys are driving right by us. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. see you later, man. We, they're coming in. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just um, – yeah, it, it could be a situation that – you know, everybody else thinks, oh, there's no elk there. Everybody's driving by it or it's too close to this or it's too close to that. And that's not always the case, man. Yeah. And like Joe said, if you can get them talking, if you can get them to kind of give their position away, then you know what you got to do, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Manano, you want to take the next one, Bob? Yes, sir. This is from Chris McColvey, Santa Rosa, California. First off, I would like to throw in a shout out to Mr. To Mr. Sean Dawson. Thank you again for hooking me up with Basecamp. That's a great problem. I feel like the odds are already increasing in my favor. Right. So this is a long question. So the part A, what's up El Camp? I know my last question was about spikes and cows, but I know I want to know about bulls. I'm looking at third rifle November 13 to 19. If what I'm hearing is sinking in correctly, even the latest cows or second or third cycle cows should be done being bred by then. There will most likely be snow on the ground and the bulls will have wandered away to their sanctuary areas. So I'm looking for the highest concentration of food, close to thick timber and unforgiving terrain. Does that sound about right? Yep. So let's take the A response yeah, first, right? So, yeah, Chris Chris has been listening, man. And the only thing I would tell you, Chris, is 13th to the 19th, some of those bulls are already starting to come out of some of those sanctuary areas, man. Mm -hmm. The later, the better, but especially if snow starts flying. You know, they're going to recover. They're dropping off right around the 11th, the 12th, and they can get reignited if there's another estrus that happens in there. But most of those bulls are pretty much done, and they're going to drop off, and they're going to go, and they're going to get in a hole. If they, you just think about that. If they drop off on, let's say, the 13th of October, and if they took three weeks of recovery there, that's putting them into the first week of November pretty much, mm -hmm. right? So Where's he as, What's that? Where's he hunting? Uh, he's Do hunting you know? bull elk in, in rifle season in Colorado. No. 
Okay, Colorado. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Colorado. I don't think it really matters where it's at. Um, Probably not. Yeah. I mean, if it's over on on the Oregon coast, it would matter because you're not going yeah. to deal with the same situation with snow like that. But uh, and and they can yeah, stay but, but there as, forever. But as long as he's close to the uh, yeah, concentration of food or water, he will be. He will be right. Right. Okay. That's a really Part good B. time to kill a real big bull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Part B. I'm hoping there is a good amount of snows. Snow since it should help me find them. I know from from what I have heard, you guys say look looking for a smaller group size with larger hoof prints versus mass amount of track to find the bulls. Do cows do clowns print or are there and elk similar than if I see tracks we do clowns? It is a bug or bull. Gotcha. Now their their dew claws are way too high up, man. It's, you know, unless they get in real mud and they dig down deep, you usually don't see those at all. But I'll tell you, man, you can take a a, a bull elk uh, print. A good bull elk print looks like a doggone calf cow, man. I mean, yeah, big, way it's a big print yeah. as compared to that that I, cow elk is very small. I realize. I mean, back in September when we got snow, I realized about it. I mean, it, there is a big difference. You you will see you you will clearly see the difference. Yeah, and and that that cow elk is more it's more pointed up there, yeah, where you get that cow elk that has a little a lot more rounded on it, right? And it's 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 you'll yeah. definitely see. It's so different from a big cathead biscuit to a big tortilla. That's the difference. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how big old. That's kind of how big old looks at it. We're going to uh, jump off of that because he had one on his last. One. We just asked if uh, if a bull will lay back like kind of like a deer does it. If you see younger bulls, is there a big bull that's hanging out? I've never seen that behavior. Um, I, I've seen 12 bulls together and it wasn't where the, the, you know, the big smart bull let them, you know, go out there before they did. No, they're all pretty much out there. I haven't seen that behavior. So um, Bill Steiger in Oregon said, living in Oregon and probably parts of Washington, Many areas are littered with roads used to access logging units uh, or mining claims. These roads still weave through the landscape and most are still drivable. In these areas, you see signs from seemingly invisible elk, sounds of vehicles driving roads, vocalization is limited, and most areas are too thick and not easily glassed. If the elk move, they're not able to escape the easy access of roads, yet elk are still there, but they hunker down in spots that are overlooked or too thick to navigate. Seems the elk that are taken are merely by luck being in the right place at the right time and not a strategic approach. His question is, how would you approach these areas, calling techniques, areas to look for, and areas to avoid? That's a great question. It, it is, but um, here's something that I was going to uh, add into our piece um, this evening. And, and I want you guys to think about this, uh, everybody to think about this. And this is new to the discussion. I want you to ask yourself, if roads don't matter to elk, if regular traffic, foot, bike, ATV, vehicles doesn't matter, if regularly patterned human behaviors don't matter, camping, hiking, people at their homes, working in the field, if none of those matter, are there places elk would be that meet their needs? A lot of these elk, especially in that area where there's roads and you're hearing all that traffic and you're seeing traffic and they can't get away from the roads, they get that. They understand that. They're used to that. They know how to deal with it. We hunt in an area littered with roads. 
with ATVs, UTVs, foot traffic, people going through all the time, um, cattle guys going out there to get their cattle to run them, and the elk totally understand it and use it. They will let a, they will wait in the trees till a vehicle goes by and they will cross the road. Okay. So the reason I say that with this question, Bill, is that you still have to hunt them without necessarily going, especially in a thick place like that, and, and overthinking it. Elk are going to go where they can get their food, where they can get their water, and where they can breed, man. Breed. And if they are in an area where there's a lot of roads, they are going to utilize that system because they understand that system. All right. So where do you look for them? Well, number one, you get off that road, the roads that most people are going to drop. And, and, uh, you can ask, uh, Cole, I've heard you guys talk about it, how you guys hear people on ATVs and UTVs all the time. And, yeah. but you very seldom bump into people back there in the, in the timber because they don't get off of them. Yeah. They don't ever want to leave. You know, uh, that's the weird thing about the ATVs and stuff is people buy those 10 to $30,000 vehicles and they want to ride them. Right. And they'll bugle from that spot, but those elk are so conditioned to hearing that traffic go by and go by and go by. That, and then when they hear a bugle down there, I, to me, I'm just thinking the elk are like, well, look at that idiot. That elk is down there by the trail, right? <laughs> that's the way, that's kind of the way I look at it. And as soon as you break off of that trail and you get, you get outside of that comfort zone of the ATV rider, immediately you start getting responses or you start seeing different sign that tells you, yeah. you know, gives you those clues of where you need to be headed next. Yep. Absolutely. And I, you know, you have a, you have a Scott Baker said, you know, Joe, you said elk study our patterns for sure. And 100% they do. Yeah. You know, they know those farmers movements. They know those guys that come in and out of their movements. And then when the elk, when the woods start heating up with people, they know exactly what time it is. Well, Ain't their the first turkeys, rodeo. And think of the turkeys on farmers farms, man. Yeah. You know, they'll sit there and they'll let the dog on tractor go by them all day long. Right. But as soon as the first gunshots start going off, it's like, oh, game over, man. We, yeah. You know, we got to get over in the trees. So it, yeah. it's the same thing with these critters. Now, I will tell you this, Bill, is there something that every elk uses and leaves, and that's elk trails, man. And if I was in those thick areas, especially in those thick areas, they're going to find their best areas to walk. I would be on those trails to figure out where they're going from and where they're going to. And I would use those and start marking those on my, on my GPS. I would know where that water source is. Uh, I would know where, and, and the problem is in Oregon, man, you guys are so thick, there's freaking food everywhere. Yeah. So if it's the breeding Dream. season, uh, man, I'm definitely going to take advantage of that. But uh, I'm going to use more breeding sounds while I'm doing it and cow talk than anything, you know, because everybody's screaming bugles trying to get these guys, right? So... I'm going to try to do something a little different in the game. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pretty much put on my own thing. Instead of trying to engage an animal, I'm going to sound like my own little group trying to bring them to me. And then once they sound off, if they start doing something, then I'm going to do that. Now I tell you, if you really want to talk to somebody who's had a lot of success in Oregon, give our buddy Tony Wintrip a yell. Oh, yeah. He is a, he is a, um, West coast killer. And, uh, he, he can help you out with a lot of that as well. And some of the things that he does, but it's, 
it, in talking to him, a lot of the things were very similar, you know, very similar. But I, I wouldn't freak out. In fact, some of those access roads that aren't being used, because you said some of them are still drivable, the ones that aren't generally have light coming to them. They're generally flat. They catch moisture and elk feed on those roads, man, because they get real, real grassy. So some of those are the places that you want to be moving through as well, because our two tracks where we hunt are gold. We oh, use yeah. them all the time, man, because oh. elk use them, yep. right? Yeah, and, and go try to visit those areas at night and utilize that night bugle. If you do get a response in, in the middle of the night, more than likely it's a real elk. It's not somebody down there, you know, messing you around. You can pay attention to that. And if you look at that area and say, man, I heard that bugle down here, and then you see a clear cut or something like that that, that Oregon has, then you can be like, well, man, there's a good possibility. If you go back super early in the morning before sunrise, hit that bugle again, you might catch them going to their bedding area, and then you have a leg up. And, and here's the other thing about pressure is if, if you want to avoid pressure, hunt when there's not pressure instead of when they're max pressure. Most guys are going to hit the woods first thing in the morning. They're going to go back to camp at midday, and they're going to be back in camp before dark. So that's why I really like the midday stuff. That's why I like to be there before daylight. That's why I like to be out there after dark in order to locate stuff. So I want to do my locating and my finding when other people are not. And I want to do, especially in those areas where you think you're getting a lot, is find those animals, like Cole says, in midday when they're in their bed. They're there for six to eight hours, man. And now you're in, that time of day is hard. Bugles don't, and, and elk talk doesn't travel as far. So now you're able to actually get after it in there. And most people yeah. aren't even going to hear it because the daytime sounds are happening it's not that morning sound all right i hope that helps you out bill areas to look for and areas to avoid i hope i gave you some of those yeah uh, gilbert take the one from austin there and i'll and i'll check our <laughs> distance my brother to the northwest of me here austin bohannon from bastrop texas love fishing lake bastrop uh tell gilbert that if he needs some goat yoga to come to my house, laugh out loud. He said, when I left to go to Colorado last September, I came back to my wife and purchased four pygmy goats while I was away. I know, man, you, you show up sometimes, you got brand new furniture. Uh, now we have seven. He said, plenty of hugs to go around. Heck, all the elk bros can show up and get him a hug from a goat. <laughs> he says, uh, so my question is, how do y'all keep your ATV slash side-by-side secure when you park it on the trails? I just purchased a four-wheeler to take to Colorado next year. And uh, I spent, since I spent lots of time walking four-wheeler trails miles before I drop off into spots where I found elk, I'm just worried that I park the four-wheeler and walk miles and maybe overnight into a backcountry and it's gone when I get back. I plan on taking the key, obviously, and I was thinking of getting a cable lock and locking it to a tree. Do y'all have any other suggestions I may not be thinking about? Well, um, I tell you one thing that I've heard guys that are starting to do is they're putting a camera around their ATV and UTV, uh, you know, just so in case somebody bothers it, uh, they can at least try to either get a license number or an ID on who did it. Uh, you got to kind of street strategically place it. But Joe, I mean, we hide our keys uh, most of the time. And uh, 
luckily, I don't think we've ever had anything uh, come up missing. Uh, but, you know, we hunt in New Mexico, and most everybody up there are upstanding citizens, and, uh, you know, the great state of New Mexico has not. Yeah, uh, the people I, of Mexico has not done us wrong. I, I, think, um, I think most people are. Uh, I think most of us have to watch out for each other, man. Um, I think there's just like, you know, it only takes just like one bad apple when we hear. I wouldn't leave it right in the middle of the trail there, Austin. I'd probably pull it off somewhere and get you a good parking spot off the beaten trail. But you take the key with you, man, or. And the cable, it'll be more than enough. Austin, I'm going to tell you too, man, I I don't like taking my key with me. I like stashing my key someplace where. It's uh, it's known, and I let my buddies know if there's buddies with me. Um, I like it to be near the bike stash someplace because if something happens to me, or if I lose that key, I'm screwed. So yeah. I like to keep it someplace hidden so that if something happens to me, I can and and I get somebody on a radio or something, they can right, go and get to my bike. Um, yeah. so that's that's one thing, and I think you know stashing your key and and I think locking it to a tree is going to be all you really need you know if somebody wants it you know bad enough after that they're going to get it no matter what locks are to make honest people honest yeah i just take a tire off of it (laughs) (laughs) take the tire off and tote it on your back you'll be all right just leave it over there under a bush somewhere (laughs) (laughs) eat the lug nuts with you (laughs) that's a good idea cole that's a straight country brother right there. Yeah. That's the way we do it over here in Texas. Exactly. Um, you come and by guess. and there's a missing wheel on your four wheeler. You know who that's, that is. That's gold. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and guys, I think we, you know, Scott Bakers, I think we pretty much already answered that for him. He actually asked that earlier in the show in there. Um, we've done a good job of getting those. I haven't seen any other questions coming out from anybody else there. Um, you know, uh, uh, just a couple of quick hit, quick hits that I wanted to do for you guys. There's one from Tracy Henry, Joe. It's a right, good go one. Yeah. Joe, how do you handle a bull, a bull that only bugles once? Um, I Great set question. up and I do a scenario on, yeah, on that bull because it, and I'm kind of curious as to why he only bugled once. I, I'd want to know if he responded to a cow call, did he respond to a bugle? How did you follow up? Because sometimes they'll respond to a weak bugle, and then somebody will follow up with a scream at him, and he show, and he shuts up. Or, or somebody will do a cow call, and a bull will bugle, and then they follow up with a bugle, and he shuts up. So it kind of depends on the variations that happen inside there, that what caused him to shut up. But a lot of times if that bull talked and he's within a certain distance, I'm not giving up on him. He's still there and he can still hear me. So what I'm doing is I'm going to start, I'm going to be introducing my cows. I might, uh, and, and I'm going to do that. I'm just going to act like, you know, I did hear a bull, but I'm going to act like it's a series where I'm just trying to, I've seen good sign and trying to put something in. I'm going to give it 35, 40 minutes of doing a scenario where I'm sounding like cows. And then I'm going to introduce a bull and I'm going to introduce reading noises and display noises. I'm not going to do any type of challenge stuff. I'm going to act like it's one of my little scenarios um, like we have in our in our base camp. And I'm going to paint that picture. And I'm going to give it that time. And I'm going to enjoy it when I do it. I'm going to play out the play. If I have more than one guy with me, we're going to do cow calls from different directions. We're going to set mm. up. And I'm going to look for that booger coming in on me silent because Tracy – um, there's a, I'm telling you that bull is still in the area. If he gave you one call and he shut up, there's a reason why he shut up. 
Well, and you, you need to listen to what kind of call, what kind of bugle it was too, Joe. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's, if he's screaming at you, challenging you, well, then that's one thing. But if he's rounding them cows up, you hear a good roundup bugle, well, you know what he's doing, you know? So, I mean, the, the, the two of those won't have you do the same thing, right? right. So you mm-hmm. read, you read what he said and that's where you answer back or you cut the distance immediately and get up on him. You know, because uh, I, I mean, he's rounding cows up and, and that's all he heard. A lot of these bulls are, are like that, too. Man, if they got cows, they'll shut completely up. They'll sound off one time to get them where they want them. And they'll, they'll start pushing and that lead cow will go and, and you won't hear anything else. Because it's not that they don't want to. That's not that they don't want to call back to you. It says they don't hear you anymore. They're moving, you know, so. Well, or the Gilbert, that they push their cows just right over the ridge so that yeah. they're not hearing yeah. them anymore. That's right. A lot, of That's times, right. a lot of times they are still bugling to let those cows know where they yeah. are. And, you just and can't hear them. not able to hear it. I mean, That's right, Jim. I've seen guys that are 400 yards over a ridge and not hear bulls on the other side. So That's right. That's right. That happens so there. Big thing is understanding what his bugle was, you know, and if you could tell what that was, man, then you can – pretty much like Joe said, make you plan. But we love to put on scenarios, man. Sound like we got our own herd going on because they, they're herd animals, man. They hear something like that and he's a lone rascal. Like Joe said, many times I've put on a scenario and I've stood up within 15 or 20 minutes and I should have waited 30 or 40 because the bull's standing there looking at us, you know. So, yeah, got to give it that time, man. I think, I think a lot of us just don't give it enough time. And Joe and I – we're aggressive in by nature as far as calling and moving and everything else. And even Joe and I have been <laughs> had one shut up on us and we've stepped out a time or two and he's looking right at us. <laughs> uh, Joe. Yeah, absolutely, man. It happens to the best of us, man. Hey man, that's all right. We'll make the next one. That's right. All right, Joe, I think that's going to, I think we're going to call it a show tonight, man, and let some of these guys get out of here and get some sleep and, uh, and start dreaming of the screaming. Awesome, man. Another fantastic show, guys. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. Just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like to to have their questions answered on our show, just have your your questions sent to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. Guys, like we say down here in the Lone Star State, and I know Cole, Cole agrees, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry, and we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elbow. And for all of our grinders out there, another great night, and here's some music from our brother Tony Wintrip to close out the show. Laters, everybody. Shout out to Tony. Later, guys. Make my living working east of town Late nights in the summer Till the sun goes down I can't stop thinking about how my life's changed But I'm still the same as I was young I peeled them bark trees one by one Made a couple of dollars Filled my gas tank once Left my high school, barely made it by But I found my way back Oh, how time flies Living Northwest
Mountain fishing is my kind of style. I float the Wainucci when it gets hot. I'm proud of all the things that I've got. I'm digging the moss bags up in the sand. And after work, a cold beer in my hand. Picking wild berries off God's land. And drinking my There's a bunch of new faces in my old neighborhood And the logging market goes up and down There used to be a little export in this booming town I filled my freezer from the river and the woods Kick it back with my old man Yeah, my life is good Living Northwest wild is my kind of style I float the wine chew when it gets hot And I'm proud of all the things that I've got I'm digging the moss bags up in the sand And after work a cold beer in my hand Picking wild berries off God's land And drinking my Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.